0: Greetings and welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of the Harmonious Living Podcast with your host, Nayama. And I'm so pleased that you're joining me today, and I'm super excited to present to you this next special guest. I'm joined by Faraha Saba. Faraha is a native of Meridian, Mississippi, and a product of the Civil Rights Movement. She has direct experience of the impact of racism and has spent many years addressing this profound American experience by being involved in producing cultural events related to this topic. Faraha founded a private nonprofit foundation, SICA, which stands for Soulful Educational Experience of Culture and Art, to compose, design, and produce educational, cultural, and artistic experiences. Faraha teaches interpersonal communication at Grossmont Community College and is the author of the textbook, How to Improve Your Interpersonal Communication Skills. She also enjoys teaching several Hatha yoga classes in private sessions, and I cannot wait for you to hear from Faraha, so stay tuned. This episode of the Harmonious Living Podcast is sponsored by Harmonic Soul Wellness. There's no time like the present to improve your health. Check out our 90 Days to Wellness plant-based eating program. Contact us at 619-752-0462 or find us on the web at harmonicsoulwellness.com. greetings and welcome to another episode of the harmonious Living podcast. I'm your host Niyama and today I am so happy to be joined by Faraha Saba. She is a professor she's a yoga instructor and she's also an author and I've been wanting to speak with her and to interview her for quite some time so welcome Faraha hi. Uh, invitation. And uh, I'm happy to be here with you.
1: I think it's going to be an interesting time that we we are spending together. So thank thank you you for the
0: invitation. Thank you. It's my pleasure. So tell everyone where you're from and how you began your wellness journey.
1: I am from um, Meridian, Mississippi. And um, this is a significant historical place uh, in that it is um, it's in central Mississippi. It's in a, um, at the foot of the Appalachian Mountains. And the, the community that I grew up in um, was a segregated community. It was an all-Black community. So my wellness journey began very, as early in life as I can remember because we lived in a rural community. We, the, the type of food uh, that we had, the type of um, activities that we engaged in were all things that directed themselves toward work wellness because we didn't really have access to a lot of, we did have a doctor, uh, a pharmacist, but we didn't have access to a lot of medical care. So a lot of attention was focused on staying healthy. Mm -hmm. I am so, so grateful for this background because it, you know, from birth, it made it very um, just natural for me to pay attention to things that would contribute um, to my health and well-being. And as I've grown older, um, I have expanded, but it's basically the same thing, you know, eat good food, exercise, have a healthy attitude, be around positive people, be engaged in positive activities. I I think that one of the things that I can say, um, that I can share that would explain how I got started in in a wellness journey is from um, a collection of short stories that I, I wrote. And every once in a while I will perform these stories just because I always want to remember them as, as long as I possibly can. But I was when I was thinking about the interview with you, I was thinking that I would share an excerpt from one of these stories because it would give you uh, a really fundamental idea about how this journey started for me.
0: Please do. <laughs> Please do, yes.
1: So this collection of stories was, uh, is copyrighted from 2003. It's entitled These Stories Saved My Life. And there are uh, 12 stories in the collection. And I'm gonna just share a little uh, excerpt from one of the stories, which is entitled The Coming Out of Mr. Little's Spirit. And it's really about this community that I grew up in that was called Lacey Bottom. And um, (laughs) it was outside of Meridian, Mississippi. So I'll just share the story and then we can go from there. Most of the Black people who lived in this primarily segregated community worked in the fields of nearby farmers. Flatbed trucks would come to Lacey Bottom in the morning to pick up adults and children for the hot, rough ride to the seasonal crops of cotton, watermelon, string beans, corn, tomatoes, or strawberries. It just depended. Whatever the farmers were growing that season, the Black people harvested. Some of the Black women of Lacey Bottom worked in the homes of white women as, baby, as maids and babysitters and cooks. Some of the black men worked as drivers, gardeners and pulpwood choppers. Most of the the black people worked in the fields. They had little money and menial jobs. They were country people who were trying to make a better life for themselves and their children. Black folks prided themselves on how far they had come when they could get a plot of land in Lacey Bottom, Mississippi. The people of Lacey Bottom, Mississippi were fancy in their hearts. In the homes and restaurants where they worked, they saw how glamorous white people live because, and because of this, they tried to replicate this fanciness to the best of their ability in their own homes. Many people gathered fruits like pears, plums, figs, blackberries, and strawberries from the surrounding grounds for preserving. Some people collected herbs like white oak bark, Mullen, fever grass, chamomile, sassafras, and mint for making medicines. I am very grateful for having come from this rural background. I am deeply thankful.
0: Wow. Oh my God, you got me (laughs) about to tear up. It's like, you know, there are times where um, people have been made to feel a sense of shame of where they come from, or that having that rural background um, has been looked down upon. I think, you know, just based on our experience in this country, a lot of people have wanted to separate themselves from the experience of being connected to the land like that. But that's where everything comes back to. And that's where now people are starting to realize that we need to get back to those natural ways, those simple ways of, of you know finding medicine in our environment. And everything that you named earlier about being around positive people around exercise, around eating well, like the basic stuff that we're so far removed from. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm just so blown away (laughs) by your background and that experience.
1: I'm really uh, that, that, you know, I know many people who are from the same background and we, you know, We don't have the same beliefs, but I'm just so grateful that always I knew this worked for me, Mm -hmm. you know, so, um, that like every, in the spring, every year, my grandmother would give us sassafras tea to clean your body out, Mm -hmm. you know, and just that very basic thing of, uh, knowing to have an annual uh, real detox. Today it's called detox, right. <laughs> but you know, would just <laughs> clean you out. And that started me, so that made me predisposed to be um, interested in um, health. And so I have explored uh, keeping myself healthy in many different ways. Uh, and, and, and I was very, I was extremely fortunate when I was about in my early twenties, I, I, I met a young man, uh, at a, um, health festival out in Arizona. It was someplace in Arizona. I don't know where it was, but he was an iridologist. And what he said, he, he said, he took a look into my eyes and he said, you are, you're going to get sick if you don't change your life. He told me that. Wow. And I, I listened to him, so that even made me more inclined uh, to search out. And it, it's different for different people. There's no one method mm-hmm. or way of of having maintaining wellness. You know, it's different for different people and different paths and different journeys. Mm-hmm. So, but I've always been uh, interested in that and and have maintained it. And the other thing that really helped me tremendously was uh, around that same time. I um <laughs> I was uh on the faculty at the at Morgan State University a historically black university in Baltimore and uh, a friend of mine friend of mine and I had rented an apartment so we rented the apartment and we you know she was into homemaking so we had decorated and we had put all our little stuff out and we were all cute and then we sat down and realized that we had spent a lot of money, but we had not bought any food. <laughs> so, so now what are we going to do? So we put our little pennies together and we went to Lexington Market, um, which is uh, a famous market in, in Baltimore. Huge, it's right, you know, on the, it's, Right on the water, people come in from all over the world, they bring things and so forth. So we went to Lexington Market with our limited income, and we could not afford to buy any meat. So we bought all fruits and vegetables. And from that moment on, I have been a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have refined, you know, my diet over the years. But that day, because when we finished with the meal, we took went home, we cooked it, we had the pots and pans, you know, and now we had something <laughs> to put in the pot and pan. Uh, so um, when we finished, I realized how much better I felt after the meal, and mm-hmm. that was a feeling that I had not had in a long time because coming from a rural background, we had a lot of vegetables because we grew vegetables, and my grandfather. Uh, would hunt and, you know, they would go fishing and they would bring other uh, types of meat and things like that. We had a smokehouse at one time. So all of these things are a part of the foundation. And from that moment of becoming a vegetarian, because once you become a vegetarian, it's a, you know, you changing your whole life and it makes you be more aware of not only what you're eating as far as food, But also to make sure that you're maintaining the balances that you need in your body to have a healthy body. Um, Mm -hmm. So, that though the combination of my background, where I was from, what I was used to eating, what we had a lot of, and then that economic decision of deciding to become a vegetarian, which is now not as inexpensive as it was then, because then you could eat a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables and they really didn't cost that much. Today, organic food is much more expensive than a lot of other types of food. So, um, but maintaining that. And then the other thing that happened to me was that I was very fortunate in that I met several people who were expert herbalists. So I, I, I knew how to get medicine that I needed. Mm-hmm. my body and that has sustained me all these years I'm so very 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 thankful it's a risk it's not an easy way of life it's a risk because you you're, you're making a, a decision that you're going to make choices for yourself instead of accepting what is given to you
0: mm-hmm. and
1: so it involves not just what you're eating but how you're thinking what kind of information you're allowing into your sphere, what kind of, um, activities you're engaged in, what kind of spiritual practices you have, because it's not like a laid out pattern and it's not for everyone.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, you said so much and, and, um, again, getting back to Having had the experience of being exposed to the herbs and having the mindset implanted in you earlier about prevention um, and making decisions with the goal of prevention in mind, because especially when we're younger, you know, we tend to think, "Oh, I can eat anything and I can do anything and I'm fine and I'm young and I'm strong and I'm always going to be this way," you know. <laughs> and so, um, you know, oftentimes. There's not that same degree of mindfulness about it. And then, secondly, especially in the US, here more lately, um, with it being so meat heavy and processed food heavy and not so much focused on fresh fruits and vegetables, you know, those are, are some paradigm shifts. And so it's interesting that you came to that as an economic decision as opposed to, you know, solely. Based on just taste, or, you know, um, just like for some people, realizing what happens with animals and deciding that they're not going to eat meat anymore. So that's a very, very interesting journey that you took to get there.
1: Well, and don't get me wrong, because it wasn't always holy. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I had my fair share of Chardonnay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I had some serious things but you know that I was engaged in that were not necessarily healthy. Mm-hmm. But because I was doing uh enough healthy things it kind of kept me out of the uh, uh emergency room so to speak. <laughs> so, you know, I think you have to uh, enjoy life and follow your path and mm-hmm. you know um be in touch turn your senses inward
0: mm-hmm. be in
1: touch with yourself um so that you can hear the little voice that's guiding you that saying, okay that's enough of that chardonnay and <laughs> <laughs> you can't do that you know the rest of the people can do that but you can't do that so the you know, other thing about like taking herbs and being a vegetarian is that over time, your body, all of our bodies changes, but your body becomes much more sensitive. So it, it decreases. Um, you you have fewer things that you can add to your system in order to keep your, your system healthy. And you just like you can't like if you if you're a vegetarian for 10 or 15 years and you try to eat some kind of hamburger, you're going to get sick, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. so. <laughs> You know, you—that's why I say it's risky because over time your body is changing, and you—you um, you just have to pay attention and be that. You have to be more in tune, not less in tune with what yeah. you're
0: doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I always tell people that our bodies have their own intelligence. But, you know, it's up to us to listen because they definitely will send us signals and, you know, let us know when they don't agree with something that we're doing.
1: That you're absolutely right. So in in, um, in yoga, we refer to that as being aware, you know, like being aware you're saying listening and it's the same thing, mm-hmm. being aware of your body and, and following the clues that it's giving you.
0: Absolutely. You know, I think this is a perfect place for us to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about that yoga and the awareness and how you came to your yoga journey. So stay tuned, everybody. Have you ever wondered what the heck vegans actually eat? Do you want to make healthier versions of your favorite foods? then you might be Vegan Curious. Register today for NAMA's Vegan Curious virtual cooking demo, Saturday, July 24th from 2 o'clock p.m. to 3 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. In this interactive live workshop, you'll learn how to incorporate more plants into your regular eating habits and some of NAMA's favorite quick hacks for substituting ingredients in your recipes. You can find the link to register in the show notes. And welcome back, everyone. So before the break, Faraha and I were talking about the intelligence that the body has, which is an awareness that um, we really emphasize in yoga. So tell everybody how you came to your yoga journey. When did you become a practitioner? And then how was it that you then became a teacher?
1: Well, in 2003, I I am um, on the faculty at Grossmont Community College. And while Uh, in about 2003, I decided that I was going to produce uh, a one woman performance of this collection of short stories that I just read from. And in that type of work, um, you have to be, you're, you're a vessel you know, like you're writing this stuff, but really you have to allow other people to speak through you. Mm -hmm. And I realized when I was, because I had written these uh, stories, I wrote them from like 1989 to 1999. So this was about 2000, 2003 or something. I, um, as I was going through the process of rehearsing <clears throat> for the performance, I realized that I was exhausted i and and i didn't didn't know if i was i had committed to this and you know but i I was really exhausted, so I had to find something where I could rejuvenate myself so I went to my neighborhood um, recreation center which is in San Diego and the teacher there, a woman named Maria Matsu, uh, was my teacher and she was at, when I walked into the room, she was setting up uh, this form of yoga, which is called Swarupa Yoga and it's spelled S-V-A-R-O-O-P-A, Swarupa Yoga, Swarupa she had all these blankets and pillows and blocks and, you know, it just looked interesting. So I said, it, you know, and then, so I took the class. And And as you know, the first part of the class is to rest in the pose that is called the asana, the pose that is called shavasana. And this is a pose that allows more uh, muscles in your body to relax because you're lying flat on your back. But in Swarupa Yoga, we lift the, the the knees up so that the back of the waist is resting against the floor. And I felt so wonderful when I came out of that presentation. So much so that when I actually, uh, when I came out of that class, when I did the presentation, I had musicians and I had a vocalist and. God rest both their souls. (laughs) Mm. Um, They would do musical interludes and I would go and rest in Shavasana for the next story. And so that's how, and and I I did that. So I would continue my classes for a couple of years and then I realized that I wanted to know more and I did not want to be completely dependent upon a teacher for my own practice. Mm -hmm. So I, I, as soon as there was a, Um, offering of the class here in the Foundations, which is the fundamental class, I took that. And then I took uh, several other um, years of training, uh, you know, levels of training. Yoga opened up a complete world to me because it showed me specifically how to turn my five senses inward toward myself and that was a very a lot of times we are looking outside of ourselves Mm -hmm. we already know everything we need to know we just need to remember what it is that we know
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so uh in this form of yoga and there are there are many forms of yoga any form is good i just am biased to this because I, I, I felt like as Afri- as an African-American woman who had never done yoga before, and I was probably, I don't know, where, somewhere in my 40s at that time, um, it fit in my body very well. And I've been fortunate to, you know, be able to share this form of yoga with other people. Um, so after a few years, I started in maybe in two thousand three, and about two thousand five, I took the first level of course, and I continue to take levels of courses, um, you know, and just to study and and to explore this whole world because it not only opened up uh, physical uh, awareness and awareness of the body and how to protect the body and how to move it in certain ways and things not to do to tighten your body. But it also opened up a new world of literature, of music, of culture, of art, of history. Mm. And it opened my eyes to a world that I was completely, had no idea that it existed. So again, I'm very, very, very grateful for my, for the introduction and for the teachers that I've had. Um, the founder of this form of yoga, uh, Swami Nirmalananda, is um, very much aware of the fact that Americans have a different cultural background than, say, um, people who are from India. So there are certain things that our bodies just don't do naturally. And so she adapted the yoga for that purpose you know and and that's why i believe that it's really something that's extremely helpful for african americans because a lot of times we have problems with weight high blood pressure and other specific diseases that you know resting the body can help in the healing and maintaining the wellness
0: absolutely <laughs> Absolutely. And, and rest is so important. And that was something that really stood out to me um, when I first started coming. And actually, before I started coming to your classes, because I had, of course, heard about them from um, my auntie who takes your classes, and then also um, Aset, who's my dear friend. and. Um, when they told me that you used blankets and blocks and all of that. And, you know, my auntie said, this is unlike any other yoga, because she and I had taken other yoga classes together before. And she said, I really like it. So, you know, I, I can say that it's definitely a very gentle type of yoga and very supported. And I think when people are coming to it from having done other types of yoga, where it's like, you know, power yoga or, you know, the, and I don't necessarily like this type, but, you know, the kind where it's been the spirituality part or the, the real meaning of it has been stripped out, you know, that connection to the self when that part has been stripped out and it's been just done as an exercise. Um, You know, I don't really resonate with that, but I love how um, accessible it is for people at all different levels. So talk about that. How, how Svarupa yoga is so different from some of the other types of yoga that you've done?
1: It is different in that it has a basic, uh, the basic principle is release the spine in a sequence. So you start at the tailbone, you take the changes into the sacrum, you take the changes into the waist, you take the changes into the ribcage. And those four areas of the spine will affect the upper body and the lower body. It does not uh, vary from that sequence in terms of, you do those things first, it's the foundation. Once you do those things, then you can do other types of things and more challenging things. But you must do those things first because our bodies are so um, tense, and if we, if with like with anything, like when you build a house, you can't build the roof before you build the foundation. So, mm-hmm. you know, keeping the sequence and um, maintaining the sequence and and the kindness and understanding that gentleness is okay. You don't have to be pumping all the time. This is a time when you want to rest and relax and let go. And that does not mean tightening your body to do it.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well said. Wow. So tell me, you mentioned that in starting this practice, how it opened up this world to you of music and arts and culture, and you definitely piqued my interest there. So talk about that, because I know that you have um, a background with the arts and you've actually started an organization, a nonprofit, correct? Right. Be- well, my undergraduate degree from
1: uh, Aquinas College in Grand Rapids, Michigan is in speech and theater. So uh, for 10 years in Mississippi from 1980 to 1989, I had a performing arts school. It was called the Colored Performing Arts Institute. And we would offer, um, music, um, a season of plays, art projects and an annual uh, festival. So the arts to me is like uh, a form of yoga because, you know, so what I found was that um, as I became, more aware of the world of yoga the the type of scriptures that were available the types of scriptures that had been written that were thousands of years old that i had never heard of and then um the type of musical instruments uh, just you know like um i had an instance once where there was a class being offered uh, a harmonium Do you know what a harmonium is it's a mm-hmm. little small organ type instrument that sits on the floor and it's used in a lot of um, yoga musical events. So, um, (laughs) I was going to attend this um, harmonium course, which was being held in Oakland at um, an ashram in Oakland. And when I got, they said, you know, no musical experience. So when I got to the workshop, it was only like seven people and six other people had been playing for other groups. They had experience. I had no experience, could not read the music. I couldn't play any of the notes. I didn't know anything, you know? So there there was a a couple, there was a male and a female teaching the class. And the the gentleman, as soon as he heard me play the first note, he told me, he said, you take care you know? So uh, mm-hmm. then at the end of the weekend, we had a retreat. We had a um, uh, a, little, a performance, you know? So there was a lead harmonium player. She was on a microphone and the rest of us didn't have a microphone. So the woman who was the lead harmonium player, she kept looking over her shoulder at me like, what are you doing? Because <laughs> I was just out of sync with the whole thing. But it, this is one of the things, this is something that I learned from yoga is, you know, the willingness to be not the expert that you don't know, to, to, to just let go of the fact that you, you know, I don't know this. So to really be a learner, to yes. come open, open heart and mind. And and that's what I learned from that experience. After, after the concert was over, which I have no idea how it sounded, because <laughs> I was just, you know, and you know, put your ego out of the way. The lady who was my teacher came up to me and she said, you are my star student. I said, really? She said, yes, because you went from nowhere to somewhere. And that's what I've learned in yoga, to let go of the fact that you don't know and it's something you haven't done before. And, you know, let go of the fact of how you think it ought to go because you don't, some things you just don't know. And that's been an incredible life lesson for me to just be open to learning, to new experiences, um, to new ways of doing things, to different type of people, to even different type of music because the, the music of yoga is quite different from that those blues songs I was hearing in Mississippi, BB <laughs> King and Bobby Blue Bland and you know DZ <laughs> <B>. Hill, <laughs> uh-huh. <Yeah>. okay. <laughs> so now we're talking about not so much drums but there are drums but you know instruments like tamboras or harmoniums and you know so it was a different um and that has kept my interest because it's so much that I don't know you know so I keep
0: being open to learning beautiful oh my gosh I think this is a good place for us to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to continue talking about learning and teaching. So stay tuned, everyone. Have you ever wondered what the heck vegans actually eat? Do you want to make healthier versions of your favorite foods? Then you might be vegan curious. Register today for NAMA's Vegan Curious Virtual Cooking Demo, Saturday, July 24th from 2 o'clock p.m. to 3 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time. In this interactive live workshop, you'll learn how to incorporate more plants into your regular eating habits and some of NAMA's favorite quick hacks for substituting ingredients in your recipes. You can find the link to register in the show notes. And welcome back everybody. I am just loving this conversation so much. And um, before the break, we were talking about learning and being willing to learn. And that's something definitely um, in yoga, especially if you're doing it with someone else is allowing yourself to be guided. And um, I was just telling Faraha about conversation I had had where Um, you know, so many times, many of us want to be the expert. We want to know the things we want to see what's over there. And we want to know the way and learning how to surrender that need to know everything and being willing to be a beginner is so important, especially when you're embarking on something new. So Faraha, tell us about that. um, You made, you made just such a great point about um, being a beginner
1: um, in the yoga training um, one of the lessons that in the fun, in the funda, fundamental course of swarupa yoga um, the teacher instructs that you have to unlearn what you already know in order to have, make space to learn new things and i didn't really get that in the beginning But after a couple of sessions, you know, training sessions, because I had a certain idea about how I thought my body could move and also how, what kind of uh, mindset and attitude I was bringing into the class. So a lot of those things are like, As an African-American woman, you're so right. So often we have to be proving ourselves. We have to be the expert. We have to fight off the people that think that we don't know and those kind of things. So that um, finding a safe environment where you can surrender to the teachings and follow um, the prescribed method is invaluable in life. Um, one of the things that I have done here in San Diego, along with uh, several other people, I formed a um, nonprofit organization called CECUP, Soulful Educational Experience of Culture and Art, for the purpose of being able to produce these kinds of um, programs, either performances or artistic experiences, or uh, right now we're doing, we're engaging in, um, Zoom meaningful conversations and uh, I'm really grateful to Brian Davis and Terry Fowler who are um, board members with me to you know have this kind of um, uh, what can I say uh, this kind of uh, organization where we can produce the kinds of things that that you know that we are interested in producing so um, that has led me to be, again, a learner, you know, to learn how, how nonprofits work in California, to learn what are the federal regulations as far as tax exempt status and, and those kind of things. And also, um, one thing that we had in my home, I don't know if you'll be able to see this, I'm going to try and show you this. Can you see that? Yes. Okay, that's a photograph of my great-grandmother. And it sat on a dresser in my home in Mississippi for many years before I knew what it was. Mm -hmm. And when I found out what it was, she was a Choctaw Native American. And so that made me be interested in... um, studying Native American culture. So while I've been at Grossmont through my organization, SICA, we have produced several years of Native American, um, the the series is called Native American Story and Song. So we've had stories, we've had the San Diego Native American Flute Circle, which is a great resource we have here in San Diego. They offer concerts pre-COVID, they probably will start back up again. But they offer concerts you know like once a month and it's a very uh when you go into uh native american communities i find it to be a very um spiritual process you know and so it's another way of opening up different doors of of learning being willing to have an open mind and an open heart to to new experiences so those are some of the things that i like doing that i do that helped me to maintain a sense of wellness with myself and with the people in the environment that I'm in.
0: That's beautiful. And um, just, I love the well-rounded approach that you take. And, and, you know, I always tell people that our wellness is holistic. And like you mentioned earlier, you know, we all have our own journeys to it. And so um, I just think it's beautiful that you, have this expansive approach um, to your wellness.
1: I I I think it's for me. It's the only way because I'm multidimensional. I understand that about myself. So I, I try not to limit myself and also not overexpose myself. Like not to have you know too much stimulation in the wrong direction. You know. So being uh, particular and directed, you know, and really always being connected to your inner voice, you know, what's going on inside of you, you know, I think that's key to me. Um, I, I also believe that I was really very, very, very blessed. My mom was a single parent for most of my life. And she was supportive and encouraging. She allowed me to be myself. She mm-hmm. didn't in, she never encouraged me to be like somebody else, you know. So that gave me a fundamental belief in listening to myself and exploring with myself, you know, being able to go into various, um, just to be an explorer of myself, you know,
0: period. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's so much of a freedom in that because even getting back to, um, when you became vegetarian and because that's having that lifestyle can cause you to have such an upstream experience, (laughs) Um, you know, and can be isolating if the people that you're associating with are not practicing the same things. Um, You know, sometimes people give up or don't pursue certain paths because if they think they're going to be the only one doing something, then they may go with the status quo just to, you know, maintain relationships or to not rock the boat. Uh, You know, things like that. You know, that's why I say it's. you're absolutely right. Because, you know, I'm from
1: Meridian, Mississippi. So uh, when I go to Mississippi, you know, there are people like that know me by another name. They're like, oh, I'm not, you know, it's not Faraha because they're not going to respect that. And Mm. that's okay with me. But it's also uh, teaching the people around you how to be respectful of you. And my mom was always really, 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 really good at that because she never, you know, like once I became a vegetarian, when I'm in Mississippi, that's her soul, she's passed away now, but she she always accommodated me in that way. And even though other people at the table would, um, you know, tease me or, you know, <laughs> you know, they would be like, "Girl, you sure you don't want some of this pork chop? You <laughs> know, it's really good." You know, or it's just like when you uh, when you stop drinking alcohol, people are like, "You you don't want to drink, No, you you know." Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, but I think what I had to learn was not to be angry with people, um, to understand, you know, where they were coming from and you know to be able to take a joke and laugh with them but still my greens are over here in this pie <laughs> and I don't care what you say I can't because that you know you can't have any of my greens and I don't want any of yours you know <laughs> so um it's a certain kind of Confidence in yourself, in what you're doing,
0: Mm. you
1: know, and at the same time, a tremendous amount of compassion for other people Mm -hmm. and where they are.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, that's, you said something that's a perfect segue um, about teaching people how to respect you. And um, I wonder, like, for me, I know that part of what led me to start teaching people about health and wellness stem from my own personal experience, but then also things like my family history and, you know, wanting to show people how they could um, prevent certain illnesses or ailments that, you know, are very much preventable through lifestyle. Would you say that your, was there something in your experience that caused you to want to teach people about interpersonal communication?
1: Oh, uh, well, interpersonal communication, absolutely. Um, Because I recognize, when I went to college, they said, what do you want to major in? You know, that first week, I was, first of all, I had left Mississippi. I was up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, somewhere I'd never been before. And the other thing about me is that I attended, um, at the time that I was going to begin school, high school, The schools were being integrated in Mississippi. So it was a lot of violence around schools. And so my mom, I went to a a private boarding school in Louisiana, which was like 300 miles away from home. I was like 13 years old. My mother took me down there, left me, (laughs) you know, and that. But it was a group of nuns, uh, sisters of the Holy Family and fathers of the divine word. They were all black nuns and priests. So I left there and then after graduation, because that was a school you were going to college, period. That was, you know, no discussion about it. They didn't mm-hmm. care, you know. Um, when I arrived in Michigan at Aquinas College, the, the when they asked you, that, like the first day you're there, it's like, okay, what's your major? I'm like, okay, I look at the list, I see speech. And that's how, uh, oh, okay, I can talk. because. <laughs> So I majored in, that was what I majored in. And then later on going to grad school at Bowling Green State University, um, you know, I had a chance to study interpersonal communication. But later in life at Salisbury State University, I went to, um, the first year I was hired there, I was replacing the person who was the department chair and she was an expert in interpersonal communications. That was the, the primary course that I was teaching. And when I learned that, because previously I had been University of Maryland, Morgan State, and I'm teaching speech and debate, argumentation and debate, uh, oral interpretation, those kinds of things. But when I learned interpersonal communication, the theories and the ideas about interpersonal communication um, helped me and how I was communicating with my family members, mm-hmm. with my friends, because I had grown up in this era of the civil rights movement, I was pretty angry, you know, and I realized when I was about, you know, in my 20s that, you know, you're going to have to really figure out how you can communicate with our people without being angry with them all the time. Because <laughs> growing up in a place like Mississippi, you got a lot of reasons to be angry. Mm-hmm. So, but you can also get you killed. Mm-hmm. So. Interpersonal communication helped me to communicate more effectively in the circles, in my professional circles, in my family, with my um, friends, and in romantic relationships, you know, not just to be, you know, pop off with whatever comes to your mind the first time, to understand how have respect for other people and their feelings, so... I I, that right now, that's the only course that I teach, and I'm exploring it more in the textbook. I have a digital textbook, How to Improve Your Interpersonal Communication Skills, which is available to my students in my classes at Grossmont. And doing the research for that over the last 10 years has strengthened my understanding of the field and also uh, helped me to have access, you know. Help me to be able to explain the information to other people more effectively. And in, in, in today's world, with the technology that we have today, and so forth, and access to information, um, I'm really enjoying being able to to share my experience in that way.
0: Yeah, and you know, to that point of technology, because I can imagine that with this pandemic and how we've had to do so many things behind screens now. And, you know, we have different norms about communicating. I can imagine that that has shifted, um, you know, for one. And then also getting back to what you said about how we communicate with the people around us. I can even see the tie to how important it is to know how to communicate effectively when you're advocating for yourself with your healthcare provider, especially, you know, over this past year?
1: Listen, words are sacred. Mm-hmm. It's the foundation of oral communication. So, and I'm not always perfect at this, trust me, because I, I, I'm a Sagittarian, so I have a kind of fiery nature, (laughs) you know, and like, (laughs) what's Me too. So being able to choose your words, think about them, to have techniques that you can go to, you know, that help you to pause and take a moment and turn your attention inward. All of these things, they all go together. Not one thing is separate from the other, they all
0: are interconnected. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh I mean I couldn't have said it better myself. It's it's all connected, it's all connected, most definitely. So oh my god, I have been I have enjoyed this conversation. I could talk to you for hours, but um. In the interest of time, tell everybody um, where they can follow you or um, information about Sika If they want to look more into that, the events that you may have coming up, um, your short stories, if there's a place where they can purchase them, anything that um, the audience can find. Okay. Well, most of
1: this information is only available through me. And, you know, so it's just Faraha, F-U-R-A-H-A-A at Sika, S-E-E-C-A dot org. There are no, it's not really generally available and, but I'm happy to share with people that connect with me.
0: Perfect. And I will put your email address in the show notes in case people have specific questions or if they just want to reach out to you and extend some positivity and kind words your way so i just want to thank you so much for taking time out of your day to speak with me and again it has been a true pleasure and i'm so grateful for you so thank you
1: thank you so much for the opportunity to share with you and to connect with you in this way you know i'm i'm grateful for the time that you the effort that you made to organize the, the podcast and so forth so thank you so much
0: thank you Wow. As always, what an amazing conversation. And I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. So here are some takeaways. Number one, gentleness is okay. We don't always have to push so hard. Number two, have the willingness to be a beginner, to be learning, to Unlearn what you thought you already knew to make space for new things. And number three, sometimes we have to teach people around us how to respect us while at the same time practicing confidence in ourselves and compassion for others. And number four, be a lifelong learner, have an open mind. And approach things with an openness and a willingness to learn so I hope that you have enjoyed this episode and as always I ask that if you are just learning about this podcast that you subscribe to it if you found something of value in this podcast share it with your family friends and loved ones Go back and listen to episodes in the first season. And as always, if you find something that you really, really resonate with, post a screenshot of this podcast and tag me in it and I will repost you on social media. You can also send me a DM in my Instagram and you can find the connection to my Instagram in the show notes. So I know that you have many choices on where you listen to podcasts. And I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to this one. So have a beautiful and blessed day and peace and love to you.